Hey everyone, welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast, where our aim is to help you live and love like Jesus. I'm Lauren Hlaud, one of the pastors of Prince of Peace. We're glad that you're here and we hope you enjoy. Grace, peace, and joy be unto you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. This text for today about the manure around the fig tree can't come up without me thinking about the first time I preached on this text in my little congregation, my first congregation in rural northeast Ohio, where pretty much everyone in that congregation was connected in some way to agriculture. I either still worked on a farm, or at the very least they grew up on a farm. Agriculture was at the heart of that community. So I began that sermon talking about how manure doesn't smell good, and it was that time of year where you would start to smell manure in the fields all around you. All I had to do was walk out of my front door, and I could smell manure at that time of year. And so I tried to make a joke about a a person's sanity if they really enjoyed that smell, but then I felt a little bad after the service when a bunch of farmers came up to me rather sheepishly and said, you know, I actually do enjoy that smell. (laughs) I was a little stunned, a little embarrassed in that moment, so I wasn't quite sure what to do with that information then, but now as I reflect about it, reflect on it, I find it fascinating to think about what it means. Far from the aroma of roses, those farmers made a very clear connection between the smell of manure and its positive value. A waste product becomes an important agent of growth for plants that it fertilizes, and many city types would simply plug their noses and walk away, but the farmers know the tremendous potential for growth when manure is applied to the plant. I doubt it is an accident that these texts come up in early spring as farmers are gearing up to plant their fields. It would be about two months from now if I were still in that first congregation outside of Worcester, Ohio, that I would be headed out into the fields to bless them as part of our rogation celebration. Some of the farmers were really appreciative of that blessing, and I know some of those thought it was the ritual was a little strange, and they did it to humor their pastor. It was one of my favorite moments in the church year there to make the connection between the labor of so many members and the faith that we all profess. And personally, I love the opportunity to get out on the farms and to hear about their operations because it was so much a part of the joy of my early childhood with both sets of my parents being connected to agriculture in their own roots. My mom's parents operated a small family farm in southwest Minnesota. My dad's father operated a grain elevator serving many local farmers in his community in southwest Illinois. There are so many lessons to learn from agriculture. And frankly, we are losing so many of these lessons as farming has become so much more of a big business and fewer and fewer people are actually part of day-to-day farming. 
I think one of the lessons we are losing was tied to the pastoral life. That lesson is the lessons of patience. Cut our losses. This is just taking too long. Don't look back. All of these phrases are part and parcel of the urban mindset. But the rural life teaches us differently. Put some manure around it and be patient. It certainly applies to the actual growing of things, but it also applies to our interactions with each other. We need to be patient with others. We even need to be patient with ourselves. These are two distinct and extremely important lessons to learn for all of us. And it's far too easy for us to get down on ourselves for not being what we think we should be. And it's far too easy for us to write off others as unredeemable. But the encouragement we have is to be patient. All week I've been thinking about one of the rural icons of my life, my Uncle John. John was my mom's younger brother. He was one of seven kids. My mom's older brother achieved the pinnacle of success in my grandma's eyes. He became a pastor. And my mom followed in my grandma's footsteps and became a teacher and then married a pastor, even though he left for the dark side of Lutheranism in the LCA, leaving the Missouri Synod. The next brother was a successful businessman. My aunt served her country in the Air Force. The two youngest brothers were also successful in their careers, but John went through school as the somewhat awkward but affable, portly band kid and then never left the farm. And for grandkids growing up, Uncle John was the favorite of the grandkids. Sure, we were in awe of Jim being the star high school quarterback, but more than anyone else, John was the big kid with all of us little kids. He knew how to speak our language. He would let us get away with things that our grandma would never let us get away with on the farm. He was always warm and joking and making us feel special that we were there. And so, of course, as we got older, we joined our aunts and uncles in worrying a bit about John. Will he ever find his own place? Will he meet somebody to have his own family? Everybody loved John, but everybody worried about him a bit as well. I know that John felt this pressure. He was always self-deprecating, but like many, this mirrored real questioning that went on in his own life about his own confidence, his own abilities. Yet as the years went on and he stayed on the farm, it became such a gift for all of us. The reality is that the, Bam, the Bodie family farm would not have stayed the Bodie family farm for nearly as many years as it did if John hadn't stayed. When my grandfather got sick, John went from being my grandpa's helper to being the one managing the operation. And as my grandma got increasingly older, John was there to help her be able to stay on the farm. Unfortunately, in 2011, John suffered a major stroke. He was unable to communicate well, and he was confined to a wheelchair, having lost significant physical capabilities. 
He struggled mightily there for a while, getting the meds right and coming to terms with his limitations. But again, after a while, he found his place. And his affability shone through, and he became a blessing to so many in his care center. My Uncle John died last week, 11 years after that debilitating stroke. And as I reflect upon his legacy, I can think of no better model of our theme for this week, choose patience. John knew the value of patience and agriculture as a model for so much of the rest of his life. While the family may have been frustrated at times with his perceived loss of opportunities to improve the operations of the farm, that was counterbalanced with a deep gratitude and admiration for his patience in dealing with meager resources and for his caring for aging parents. His patience with my grandmother may have, in fact, been his greatest virtue. My grandmother was a force of nature, a tough German woman who raised seven kids while staying extremely busy in her church. She was a force, but she could be a handful as well. She had high expectations and was never afraid to share them. She could be hard on John, but he kept on smiling and he kept on loving. I always remember a couple of visits that I made out to the farm as an adult. I would be up in Minnesota for a conference in the cities and I would drive out to the farm and spend some time with just the two of them. And I loved watching the way that John cared for my grandma, how he would get the devotional book every night after dinner as she expected and read that devotion and make sure that she had everything that she needed, staying patient with her the whole way through. One of the former workers from the care center he lived in wrote about this when she learned about his death. She said, just a broken heart full of memories and fondness, so full that they're leaking from my eyes. John made a difference to so many people at Parkview. He was always trying to make people feel better. I regret the circumstances that brought him there, but I was so blessed to have his path cross mine. I told him more than once because I realized it on a nearly daily basis. Without patience for himself and for others, John could have been a bitter, frustrated person through and through. He lived a fairly simple life, but he became a blessing to so many, and that came through the gift of patience. Very early in his life, he learned the value of putting manure around the plant and being patient for its growth. He had a deep and abiding faith in Jesus who knew, and he knew that Jesus had grace and patience for him and called him to have that for others. And this gift became a blessing for all of us that knew and loved him. As kids, when other adults would lose patience and they would want to move on to other adult things, John would still be there, ready to play another game, ready to laugh at our next harebrained adventures. And when we got older and decided we were too cool for our younger cousins, he modeled for us the joy of being present with them and drew us in. That was an inspiration for us as kids with our younger cousins and then as we grew to be parents as well, watching him with our own kids. Choosing patience was one of his many gifts. It's a gift that we are called to embrace again and again throughout Scripture. It's a precursor to showing grace, mercy, and forgiveness. 
It's fruit that emerges from the gift of love. We hear of it as part of the very nature of God as we welcome the gospel in this season of Lent. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. I thank God today for the gift of my Uncle John, who modeled this for me in my life, and I pray that God will continue to nurture this gift in me so that I might choose patience too. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Prince of Peace podcast. I hope that today's message has brought comfort and inspiration to your life. Have a great rest of the week.